This week on the Magnificently Huge Podcast, Mate Max. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. So in junior high, I was an angry kid who was just just depressed and angry and into violence and uh, uh, shooting guns, or at least watching movies of people shooting guns, and just, just, just angry and violent and just a spazoid. And then I saw Mad Max, and I thought, there's a movie for me. Yeah, because it's just angry and violent, and lots of blood, and lots of vengeance, and uh, yeah, I fell in love with it. So there's Mad Max, there's The Road Warrior, which is Mad Max 2, and then there's Mad Max 3 Beyond Thunderdome, the original trilogy of Mad Max films that led up to Mad Max Fury Road that most everybody has seen except me uh i don't tell the guys that during this show and listen to how well i can bullshit them about the film not having seen it it's kind of funny to me uh maybe less so to them anyway let's jump to the show okay bye and remember it can always get worse <laughs> The only Hi, everybody. Welcome to the through. Happy Fun Podcast. Happy Wee! Fun Times. Yeah. <laughs> Crack yourself open a beer. Kick your feet up, even if you're at work. Uh, <laughs> Take that, boss man. <laughs> you may have noticed I don't sound quite the same. I'm uh, suffering from allergies this week. Hooray me. It's like, it's all uh, the fun of a cold without any of the cold. So it's awesome. Or sympathy. Yeah. Because <laughs> people are always like, well, take a pill. I, shut up. I've never <clears throat> listened to this podcast before, so you sound the same as you always have to me. What was your name? <laughs> uh, my name is Eric. <laughs> my name oh, is Brian. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm Chris, I guess. No, no, no. Or, yeah. or are we? No. This is no. Chris. This is Eric. I'm Brian. Yeah. <laughs> Fooled you. And we're the magnificently uh-huh. huge schwarm. Sh- the magnificently huge <laughs> shawarma. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. C- coming to a grocery <laughs> store near you, we're going to start marketing products. Yeah, we're going to do branding, Food- foodstuffs that you don't want nor care about. Yes. Okay, I'm bored already. <laughs> that's awesome. When well, the producers welcome to the bored. magnificently huge shawarma. That's how we roll, yo. <laughs> how is everybody this week? Apart from myself, weird, tired, awesome. Glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, so my 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 wife's uh niece and and her friend are uh, uh renting a room we 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 have rooms downstairs and we're renting it as like a, a sort of a i don't know uh not a part i guess apartments but it's just it's weird now because like everyone's moving in and there's lots of clumping and clunking and hammering and music and i'm like sitting up here like an old dude in his chair recording his podcast yeah. In this house of activity. <laughs> How does so that if you hear you clumping feel? and clanking and, and 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 Drake playing in the background, then that's that's Ooh, that's you know 
Drake. So you're like really? the 21st century like ham radio guy. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Okay, with the foil and hat. This is the first time I'm recording in my office that uh, was the dining room and, and is also strategically right in the middle of the house. So I'm excellent. <laughs> I think we're going to hear every anything going on in the house, but hey, what whatever. A few shows back, you were having a, a remodel done, and so it was yeah. hammering. Yeah, this is the result of that. Clomping. Okay, I got yeah. you. Good. Well, clomping that sounds and like, clanging. That sounds like an awful lot of fresh shit right there. This shit is fresh! Oh, shit, it's fresh. This stuff is really fresh! It's our segment where we talk about what we've been watching and doing. reading and yes. doing and yes. Yeah, we yes. are on the ball. Fuck yes. Yes. I, I, I'll, 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 I'll kick mine out real quick. I, we, I watched basically all of Castle Rock seasons one and two. Well, mm. almost, almost through season two. That's uh, the Stephen King show, right? I, I yeah. admire your ability to watch yeah. as much television as you do in a week. Yeah, really. Do you well, ever sleep? You know, For fuck's sake. You're always watching mm. all entire series of shows. How do you um, do it? I uh, laziness. I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah. So we, we we jammed through it. Also, it's a weekend, so you know the wife okay. and I were like, "Well, let's give it a shot." And boom. Cool. Also, the seasons are only like ten episodes long, so it's not like what, for for those of us so who only are, twenty hours yeah. of Wolf yeah Castle, right? yeah. Get off your high horse, asshole! Every week you're <laughs> like, I saw a play and a movie and Kabuki <laughs> theater. Uh, I went yep. sk- and I and a skeet shooting and here's a video game. So yeah, <laughs> well, okay, kind of like that this week too. Yeah, anyway. TV is my beat. That's it. Because so because TV, us, I don't have to leave the house. For those of us who aren't <laughs> familiar with Castle Rock, hit me. So Castle Rock is a town in Maine where a lot of Stephen King stories took place. Uh, and this show takes a lot of the places and a lot of the characters and sort of does a mashup. I don't think they're prequels, per se, to the characters in the book. It's really, literally, a mashup. They, it, season two is the nurse from, Mer- from Misery uh, put in the middle of a situation that is Salem's Lot. And at one point... Uh, well, it's like things from all the other books sort of bleed into these things, you know? Okay. Um, so this it's, is like okay. the Avengers Endgame or Star Wars, uh, whatever that yeah. last one was called, of Stephen King stuff. It's kind hey, of remember think, that thing? Here it is. <laughs> think more The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, where you had all okay. these literary characters from all these different things, and then they got tossed in a pot, you know? Does, uh, okay. does Cujo show up? They mention Cujo. They mention like, really? oh yeah, that psychotic dog a couple decades ago. Well, yeah, oh, there's one. Okay. okay. Uh, uh, what was it? What 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 is their name? Um, from The Shining. Uh, Torrance. Yeah, there's a a character with the last name Torrance, and at one point she talks about how some relative of hers uh, tried to chop up his family out west. It's like real quick things, and okay. they're very fan servicey. And I, I get the feeling that's what the show is really about: is the fans going, "Ooh, oh, I know that one." Ooh, um, it's so it's the whole thing is designed to play fan service to Stephen King readers. Yes, basically, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. There. Yeah, I mean, one character, Ace, 
mm, Ace something. I can't remember. I, I go through it so fast I can't recall all the names. Anyway, Ace. Uh, he's the same character that Kiefer Sutherland played in Stand By Me. To give you an idea oh, okay. how wide-ranging this is. It's okay. I mean, it's like the writing is good. The, 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 the tension is good. But the idea that you have to be in the know of the Stephen king is a little annoying. I've only read three of his books because I find him unreadable. <laughs> so is it is it that you should be a fan or is it they're trying to get you into it? Probably more that you should be a fan. I don't it's know. It's not an entry-level Stephen King. I think that's a good question because, again, with the second season, I started going, huh, maybe I ought to read Salem's Lot. And then I was like, uh, I don't want to read Salem's goddamn lot. No, um, <laughs> no you don't. Because <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, oh. yeah. And, and, and oh, yeah, let's see. Uh, it takes place in Derry also, which is where a lot of his other books happen. Uh, they yeah. jump around these manor towns. Uh, a lot of the actors have been in Stephen King films. The first season, the clown from this movie version of It is one of the main characters, and Sissy Spacek is in it. And yeah, yeah. I don't know. You're not selling it. You're not. I'm not sure it. what to think of it. It's. I guess if if none of it had been called, um, you know, Castle Rock. If it if if the the attend I, I keep trying to think if you removed all the Stephen Kingness like by name would it still be mm. good and that's where I'm kind of on the fence. Mm. So is it's it, is just it scary? It's got its moments, yeah. Um, but oh yeah, okay. it's also it's also an anthology. That's another thing to remember. It's every season is a new story, and there's only you know so like American Horror Story. It's right. better than American Horror Story at that job. Well, I guess that's I, something. Yeah, American Horror Story I, is almost too cute. Well, but, it is made by the guy that did Glee, so I keep hoping they yeah. can break into song. Yeah. But, no. <laughs> yeah, eventually we'll get our, our horror movie musical. Uh, <laughs> right? Anna and the Apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway. Oh, hey, I also really. watched, a movie, watched the movie Mom and Dad. With Nicolas Cage, the man, Nicolas Cage, whose birthday was this month. Uh, but yeah, okay, mom and dad, uh, something happens, maybe a biological weapon, we don't know. But basically, it takes all of the the feelings parents have towards their children of love and protection and inverts them completely so that every parent wants to murder their own child. Not every child. <laughs> not not grown It's like a modern kids. version of the nude bomb. I or something. guess, yeah. except instead of <laughs> nakedness, they murder their own children. And there is a part where a woman gives birth to a baby, and it almost becomes the awesomest film ever made. Because yeah. she almost kills her baby. Yeah. <laughs> she's She is driven to murder her baby, and she's, like, grabbing at a scalpel, and all these people are, like, on top of the mom, like, no, stop her! It's... It's... It's fucking hilarious, is what it is. Well, so on the it is uh, absolute uh, grindhouse too. It is a grindhouse comedy. And you right, really well, get that in the opening titles that they they made like they were in 1974. It's yeah. So on the the Nick Cage scale, one being mm -hmm. uh, let's say I don't know Birdie, and ten being uh, whatever Mandy. ten would be. Yeah. What would what would the yeah. Nick Cage rating be on this one? I'm unclear on the scale, so I'm going to say with one being uh, that 
that uh, that that movie. Okay, that Christian movie about all the people being taken up into heaven. The that he did where he was a pilot left that, behind. Left yeah. behind his 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 turning left behind being the lowest, and Mandy being the highest. I would put this at about six or seven. You know, it's well, hearts in the right place. I meant but, more just oh, his, and, his actual performance, like the craziness oh, of his performance. It's, so, like, if it's one is, say, like, Birdie, which is a... There is okay. classic Nick Cage in this movie. He he, he okay. goes back to his roots of nutballerness. Yeah. Which one of you guys saw Primal? <laughs> Who saw that one? Was Primal? it me? No, I didn't I see that. one of you had seen it. Okay. Well, there you go. That's what I'm curious about. Anyway, continue. Yeah. That's it. All right. He's got a new one coming up that um, I can't remember the name of, but it it's like, like the 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 brilliance of incredible talent or something like that, and he plays himself. That's oh, yeah, that's that, right, that's, that's right, one, that's yeah. right. Oh, good lord! I'll find All it. All right, later. can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait for Chris's fresh shit. What do you got, Chris? Uh, I don't have much. I finished Marvelous Mrs. Maisel season three finally, uh, and it was okay. They need to stop honestly i think they've run out of gas this one was way too much hey we like neil simon so every episode is going to sound like every cliche neil simon play we've ever seen because <laughs> uh, it's just pitter patter dialogue and it just like that's your point at me you're pointing at me you're losing <laughs> your point. yeah that's how that's not how real people talk god damn it i don't care if it's 1960 or not uh so it's got issues it's still watchable but it's not nearly as good as the first season so uh, I don't know, but they got a fourth so one coming. So it's the mediocre Mrs. Maisel now? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, okay. Yeah, so there's that. If you like the show, go for it. The thing I don't like about that is how quickly they breeze through the the idea of of, of making it. It's like somehow she just yeah. walks up on a stage with zero material every night and kills. It's like... Yeah. Well, That's they, not fair. That basically says every other comic who ever existed is an yeah. asshole for sitting down and writing. Well, they, they touch on some of that, and then they do actually give them some hard knocks and some lessons. Uh, so they're not quite there yet. But yeah, I just, guess. But I want with everything else, it's like, come on. It's just way too real simony. I want to see her do like 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 shows in cancer wards where she's getting no laughs for like eight or nine years like any professional yeah, comic. Yeah, that sounds like riveting television. That's like any that. professional yeah. comic. That's that my sounds point. like the Joker starring Joaquin Phoenix, sir. Yeah. So, one mm. day. Uh, yeah, she, so she yeah. doesn't bomb enough. It's true. That's true. But oh She's well. a white lady who went up on stage on at the Apollo and killed thirty seconds into it. Come on, that's <laughs> nuts. Yeah. Well, to be fair, she did follow Mom's May- Mabley. Uh, yeah. So there is that. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, so yeah, if you're watching that show, then uh, tell us how you like it. Then stop. Apparently, is what Chris is saying. Just give up. Yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Uh, so yeah, beyond that, uh, really, uh, all I did was my Disney Channel challenge, Disney Plus challenge uh, that Eric provided. I watched Candle Shoe from like 1977, I think Wait, it was. What's it called? Candle Shoe. Candle Shoe. Yeah. Candle Shoe. Starring a, I know nothing about <laughs> Candle Shoe. Uh, and you probably won't. It's one of those weird, like Disney made a movie in the late 70s and then... It disappeared. It's got Jodie Foster sort of at the peak of her Jodie Fosterness in the 70s. Uh, it's got David Niven and Helen Hayes slumming it. 
uh, in the later part of their careers. Uh, it's I, basically Jodie Foster's uh, runaway uh, foster kid uh, who is also like a, a criminal type. She's a delinquent. Uh, she gets found by uh, a con man from England who's been casing this a state called Candleshoe, which has got buried Spanish treasure. And so he wants to make her the, the long lost granddaughter of the woman who runs the estate owns it, uh, to find out where the gold is so he can steal it. And then she gets there and David Niven's the Butler. And then they find out that they can't pay the taxes. And so the Butler dons all these disguises to play all of the various staff members for this old lady (laughs) to make sure she doesn't know that they're broke uh and then eventually they find the gold it's like uh it's like the goonies meets fitzwilly i don't know if you've ever seen fitzwilly that's a dick van dyke movie from like 1968 where he plays the butler of a rich old woman in new york who doesn't know she's not rich anymore so he and the staff concoct all these schemes to kind of make her uh feel like she's still part of the aristocracy (laughs) That was so dumb. Uh, so it's like that. So it's like two different movies. And then midway through Jodie Foster, her heart of steel melts. And then she becomes fond of these kids and this family. Uh, and then they find the Spanish treasure and everybody lives happily ever after. I'd never seen it before. Think- uh, so yeah, it was a delight, a delight. I, I feel like I need to make a bumper for this segment. Like this shit is Disney. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, this time they're off to England. Now they're going to England. There is like this dividing line in in the world of Disney where it's like before the Little Mermaid and after. You know, is it a cast? Is it a a, a an Eisen? What are the names of those dudes in the eighties who made Disney not Eisner. suck? Yeah, Katzenberg. Yeah, it's Eisner like Eisner. Everything before them and everything after them. It's like everything before yeah. them. Disney was covered in a thin layer of dust, and it was awful. Oh, and like yeah. a bunch of has-beens were in all their shit. And then I think there's the between Walt's death and Eisner, but before yeah. Walt's death, there was there was better stuff. Yeah, for me, it's that so. window of, of the '70s, like right after Walt Disney died, and they didn't know what the fuck they were doing, mm-hmm. and so they just churned these things out because they had the mechanism for it. Well, that's kind of what I'm saying is that like yeah. there, it, it, but you know, oh yeah, okay. There's, I'm not saying Disney started with a thin layer of dust on it. I'm saying right before the cast, the those guys yeah. whose names I cannot say, uh, and after, you know, well, basically, and, and after uh, it was all theme parks and you know well, computer that's the thing, animation. Before they showed up, it was just Disney sort of running on life support, doing yeah. what they always did, and then. Eisner and Katzenberg showed up and then suddenly it was Disney was like a, a commodity. They, they uh-huh. commercialized it and they just, they were cutthroat about it and they made sure that it was, you know, targeted to a specific market, et cetera, et cetera. That's why the seventies. And every time so anyone internally said something uh, against it, they would make them watch the apple dumpling gang. And then everybody was on board because that sucked shit. There is so, nothing wrong with the uh, apple dumpling gang. Fuck you. Except everything. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you should just fuck off today's subject and talk about these Disney movies. Okay. Go ahead, Brian. Put your first yeah. shit. Hit us. <laughs> sure. I don't know that either of you have ever really been watching uh, Silicon Valley on HBO. Am no. I the only one? I don't have HBO access, so no. I tried watching it. I didn't care. Okay. So Silicon Valley's final season happened, and I watched it. Was it um, the Silicon Valleyest? 
you know, they did a good job of holding it together. They they kind of stumbled a couple seasons ago. The first two seasons or so were just brutally accurate and cringy and a really good takedown of the tech world. Yeah. Um, they kind of got, you know, as it went along, they kind of got a little too wrapped up in their own mythology. Uh, this one, they try to bring it on home. They, you know, they take the the work that they've been doing through the whole series and they try to tie it all together and it gets tied up in this big um, spoof of the fire festival. Um, there's this one particularly self-absorbed douchey uh, billionaire guy named Russ. And he had a, he had a tequila called Trace Comas because he had, he wanted to indicate that he had a billion dollars and there's three commas in that number. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. So Russ of Trace Comas uh, creates Russ Fest, which is his fire festival thing. (laughs) Nice. Um, It's kind of weird because of course, AT&T owns HBO. So they're, they're involving AT&T in the plot now specifically, which I guess is a way of product placement, but also not. Yeah. Um, Well, that's like when Letterman used to pull GE in. Yeah. It's all for the joke. Yeah, I, I'm going to drop a quick spoiler for the end of Silicon Valley. So if you're watching Silicon Valley, I haven't watched it the last season. The last season's worth watching. Um, but basically the deal is that they had this um, this really intense compression algorithm, and then they plugged it into an AI that learns how to maximize it. And basically, if their technology launches... It will be a huge success, but it will also completely eliminate all encryption and all privacy and and everything would be exposed on the internet. So they have to decide whether or not to uh, to kill their tech or kill privacy worldwide. Okay. So that's sort of their, their final conflict. Um, it's funny. I, I laughed. I enjoyed it. It ended uh, thematically, I think, consistent with itself, and then they got out. So good for them, Silicon Valley. Have they kept the same cast through the whole thing? Except that they dumped uh, T.J. Miller a couple seasons ago. Yeah, right. He just became so. unhireable. Because uh, yeah. the other guy, bag. the other guy that was in uh, Godzilla: King of the Monsters, I can't, I don't know his, I can't remember his name, but uh, he used to follow my wife, or my wife followed him on Instagram because of cat photos and stuff, and. Uh, Turned out he was like a in an open relationship and a swinger, and had like a like a weird story about that with his wife. And she's like, "Oop, too icky, done." And left. wait, Thomas Middleditch, the yeah, the yeah, guy yeah, still yeah. in Silicon Valley, yeah, you, yeah, Thomas so. Middleditch, yeah, he's he's the main guy. He's sort of our Mark Zuckerberg Zuckerberg character in Silicon Valley. Um, he also does. Um, oh, I don't know. okay. Yeah, commercials for some cell phone company, Verizon commercials. I think now. Yeah, apparently he's a swinger. So, good thing you found that out after the fact. Oh, yeah. Okay. Icky. Okay. Anyway, so Silicon Valley, it's it's a funny show. Um, uh, moving on, I do want to do my video game. Uh, that I picked up over the holiday season. I've been playing Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Um. Cricket. This is, yeah, this is the <laughs> Star Wars, the single player Star Wars game. It's been in development for several years, been made by Respawn Entertainment, the guys who made Titanfall and who 
Uh, previously had been the guys who more or less put Call of Duty on the map, you know, ten odd years ago. <laughs> you said duty. <laughs> wow. I don't know why I bother. <laughs> so, Fallen Order. We're good, all in bad. a mood today. I think that's what yeah. it is. <laughs> well, I'm high on cold meds or whatever, so yeah, it's good. So, Jedi Fallen Order. Jedi Fallen Order is... Um, it has no new, no new ideas at all. It's like every video game put into a blender and executed fairly competently. It's a good, solid, completely not innovative video game. Would you say the format is pretty much dying? I mean, there's only so much you can do with a controller and a flat screen. At some point, they're going to have to find something else. Oh, no. The the last time there was a really big change was the first person shooter. You know, I yeah, I I think you're wrong about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, First of all, I think the real changes are in types of games that, uh, frankly, Eric and I don't have the time to play or the interest in playing because um, really what changed was like Minecraft and Fortnite and Destiny and these other games where people are playing online socially and that's their actual social life is like gathering Mm. to play these games with headsets online for hours and hours on end, which... It's not really the my thing. Game itself hasn't really changed. It's like maybe at some oh, point yeah, we'll Fortnite be avatars. Fortnite is an utterly different game. Minecraft is an utterly different game. If anything, games have been kind of taking pieces from MMOs and Minecraft and integrating them. So like every mm. game now has these skill trees and side quests and crafting and goes on and on for hours and hours. Mm. Um I'm I'm a little tired of of that. I'm actually more interested in a focused single player game. Those are becoming more and more rare. And Jedi Fallen Order is that at least. At least if you put it on the easy difficulty setting which I did. And yeah, fine. Dark Souls fans <laughs> call me a heretic. I don't care. If you want a Dark Souls style game, turn up the difficulty and you'll have one in Jedi Fallen Order. But for me, I just want to get through this game in like 10 or so hours if I can. Well, uh, isn't, that the, isn't that the real trick, though? Because I used to do that. You'd put it on the easy level and get through it all to kind of just scope it out. And then you go back and up the level so you'd actually make it more interesting. Well, I mean, and you can definitely do that with this game. Like Dark Souls is is another uh, series that is pretty popular these days, and then it's kind of become a a game type of its own. But basically what it means is bad guy touches you and you lose like half your health, and then he touches you again and you die. And it's all about defense and dodging and strategy and learning the patterns. And it's like, it's kind of like if everything you fight in a game is a boss monster from an older school game. Yeah. So, uh, and then they pile up just lots and lots of those on you and you have to deal with this really difficult thing where you just get killed and killed and killed. Jedi Fallen Order is that game unless you turn the difficulty down. (laughs) That's true of all games, isn't it? Is it though? Is it, though? <laughs> I think what I we're know. learning is that Eric stopped playing video games about five years ago. <laughs> you just turn but, the difficulty down. The, it's a little switch I mean, on the back of the 2600, and it makes like things not so hard. Oh, Go click. You know, all you got to do is follow the five rules of dodgeball, and you'll be great. I mean, you know, dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge. And then Bob's your uncle. You've won, correct? You're, you're not wrong, actually. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's the secret to any video game success, as far as I'm concerned. 
<laughs> run away. That's yeah. that's yeah. Chris's strategy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh okay. Uh I'll switch gears. Uh went drove out to so first of all the sports arenas in Phoenix are so far out of town like it used to be that like when you were driving from Phoenix to LA and you hit Tolleson there was like this truck stop and that was when you knew you were like you're you've left town you're out of civilization you're in the desert on your way to LA yeah now there's a freeway interchange there, and then you go north for a few miles, and you get to where supposedly people would want to go to watch football or hockey, where these new stadiums are in the middle of friggin' nowhere. They used to all be downtown. It was, like, centrally located, and you didn't have to yeah. really drive that far. Now the basketball so, yeah. and the baseball are still downtown, but the hockey and the football are out in Glendale, like, literally, like, 90 something Avenue, which is absurdly far to the west. <laughs> yeah, it's like... Um, okay. like to give you some idea, like at 83rd Avenue, that's where they put the concert pavilion that was like outside of where people lived so that the noise wouldn't bother anybody. You go 10 avenues further West and then go North and then you get to where the sports arenas are now. So I drove for fricking ever to get to an arena to watch tool last night. Yeah, tool, tool. Yeah. Yeah. Tool. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw that they what were What was that crowd like? Um, well, it's Tool. You're in Arizona. Yeah, so <laughs> Arizona, that, like Phoenix is a big Tool town, I tell you what. It, it really is. There's a lot of tools here yeah, in Arizona. Yeah, a tremendous number of um, tools. Eric, let me put it like this, because that was one of the other things I want to say about, about this, you know, just other people in general, the experience. I had two beers spilled on me at this show last night. <laughs> <laughs> Twice did some fuckhead spill beer on my back yeah. during the Tool concert. There was a dude... <laughs> <laughs> oh I just imagine. God. I'm sorry. I imagine this 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 biker dude with like a wife beater, <laughs> like a black like a yeah. uh, husband beater shirt, and like yeah, the beard and the beer, and he just keeps going dead inside along with the song and sloshing the beer like yeah. he's rocking his fist, but he forgets yeah, he's holding it. liquid. Yeah. yeah. So, but so but the okay, joke's on so him because the beer cost eleven dollars. So oh god, <laughs> man, the man, water man, costs seven dollars. Like a little normal sized water ball, seven bucks. So here's the thing about Tool is like Maynard, the lead singer of Tool, really doesn't want to be there as far as I can tell. And, you know, there's a story that apparently everybody in the crowd was able to tell me about. At some point in in the past, somebody threw a water bottle on stage and hit him in the head during one of their big songs and he got all pissed off. So... If you buy a water bottle at the Tool concert, they have to keep the cap so that it won't be full of water when it hits him in the head, I guess. Um, <laughs> and he yeah. he stands on a platform towards the back of the stage and is never lit. There's never a spotlight that lights him. He's always a silhouette. He's he's like basically not part of the show. <laughs> what a diva. What a fucking um, diva. And they they spent an incredible amount of effort to make sure everybody got the message. No fucking cell phones. You take your cell phone out, we will kick you out of the show. Like, just don't <laughs> do it. Security will kick you out of the show. Supposedly. 
And I mean, uh, I'm up. We we our tickets were kind of in the cheap seats. We're up on the upper balcony, you know, close to the front of the upper balcony. But you know, I can see the crowd, and yeah, you can see who's got their cell phone out. It's really yeah. not hard to see. <laughs> uh, I mean, sounds like a lot of rules to sounds like a lot of rules to go see the songs that I kind of liked 25 years ago. <laughs> yep, <laughs> really. So. One dude, how was the crowd? So there's this one guy who walks up. This is the hockey arena. We're in the upper balcony. The the woman behind me is tripping on something, and she's having a bad trip, and she's just like, it's way too high up. Everybody here is going to die. We're all going to die because <laughs> like, the bleachers are kind of steep, you know, and so you get vertigo. There's nothing she's about convinced the tool that suggests to me that it would be a good opportunity to trip. You know what I'm saying? Oh, are you kidding? The whole show is made for people on acid. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that. But um, this one dude, during his favorite song, comes down the aisle, stands right at the end of the aisle, and there's like this plexiglass, you know, try to keep you from jumping, basically, up there. And first of all, he gets out his phone and takes his pictures, which I'm expecting security to come get him. But he completely pushes the woman behind me's button, and mine, frankly, because he is obviously wasted. And he's just like spreading his arms in the Jesus pose and leaning into the plexiglass, like daring it to break and send him falling over the edge into the crowd below <laughs> through the oh whole song. Oh my God. It's just oh, like, oh, it's like, like Midnight Express. Billy! Like smushing himself <laughs> against the glass. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, yeah, Tool, um, Tool has ripped off the light show from the Pink Floyd tour. It is the same light show, more or less, except that the videos are the videos that they make, which it turns out all their videos are made by their guitarist. He does all their visual design. Yeah, like so all those like stuff, freaky, yeah. almost human-looking, weird-ass shit. That's all that guy. Heck yeah. Um, like, what was that? Prison Sex. That was the really. That was the one that really freaked me out when it would come on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they they've got some fucked up shit like an eyeball bursting out of the back of like an insect and then it's got octopus tentacles and crawls away and yeah, yeah it's messed up. Okay. So, yeah, crazy laser light show, creepy vi- video, I was not on acid. Uh so, you know, it they <laughs> they played the Tool song that, you know, that song that they do that all of their songs sound like. They played it. Nice. Um they played the Tool song from their new album, which sounds like the Tool song. Um, <laughs> tool. You're such a tool. Yeah. No, it was a good show. I just, I, you know, I, th- there's a song from the new album where he uses a vocoder to harmonize with his voice. And as soon as that came on with the colorful laser light, I'm like, that's what I'm missing here. Harmony. <laughs> yeah you know that was the the first time i heard the anima album that's what i thought man this album could really use some more harmony that's really <laughs> well it's all that's like every tool album right well that was like every so, album in the mid 90s from those bands like them and nine inch nails it was like loud quiet loud quiet quiet <laughs> loud it's like every album was like that it's like just sh- oh it's driving me insane yeah <laughs> so yeah so they have hardcore. no it's so they have hardcore. no stage presence at all like they just stand there the only one who's having any fun is the drummer who is awesome uh okay. but yeah it, okay. it was a good sh- concert 
if you like Tool, go see it and definitely do drugs uh, to watch them. Yes. That's my review. And that's okay. my fresh shit. We'll go from Tool right into an apocalyptic future of metal grinding and shotgun blasting awesomeness that's the world of Mad Max. And if you yeah. haven't seen any of these, if you've only seen Fury Road, go back and watch the first three because they're they're tits. They're just great. I love these movies. I, <laughs> when I was a kid, I was I was like what ten when I first saw Mad Max. I was like, okay, this is what movies should be. Yeah. Fuck Star Wars. This is what <laughs> movies should be. So, so here's the question: uh, Were you like most of us uh, and saw Road Warrior first before you knew that it was a sequel, Honestly, or did you watch I, them in order from Mad Max on? Can I be honest? I didn't know they were connected for a couple of years. Okay. I saw Mad Max. I saw Road Warrior. I don't know which one I saw first. Okay. I just know that I loved Mad Max. <laughs> okay. Uh, That's fair. This, That's is, fair. this is kind of the problem I've got is you can you can definitely not know they're connected. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. it's... Except, except by the character name. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. And the car isn't, I don't think, even exactly the same from Mad Max to Road Warrior, but... It's just a really yeah, fucked up, angry guy <laughs> with a yeah. with a bum. Well, knee. no, I mean, there's connective tissue because the Road Warrior starts with that flashbacky stuff, and they use clips f- briefly from the first movie to kind of give it a a loose connection. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. you're right. But when I saw it, I was like like '83, I guess. A friend of mine's older brother had rented some movies, uh, so I'm like 12, and so popped it into the VCR, and it blew my fucking mind. I was like, holy yeah. crap. And then, and You're I. You're talking Road Warrior, right? Yeah, yeah. And okay. I had no idea that it was a sequel or anything. I just like Road Warrior. And then suddenly all the Road Warrior maxploitation stuff started showing up in the cinemas. And then it became a thing. Yeah. And then a couple years later, I saw Mad Max. And then uh, by that time, I was old enough. And then Thunderdome came out. So I saw them out of yeah. sequence, but it still doesn't really matter. I'm pretty sure I saw Mad Max first because uh, I, 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 I loved how, like, sort of gritty and messed up it was and w- when i saw the road warrior I, I i remember thinking wow the production quality you know this this they spent money on this and of course they didn't but it like looked <laughs> like a lot more thought yeah. was put into it and well, mad max is a movie about uh cops who are about as bad as the motorcycle gangs that they chase uh and there's one guy max who is sort of the the top interceptor of the uh was it what? What are they called? The 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 MFP, the MFP. Yeah, Motor yeah. Force Patrol or something. And yeah, he's he's sort of the closer. <laughs> they all they all chase yeah. bikers, but they call in Max when they they want this to just stop this shit. Yeah, and yeah. So uh, hijinks ensue. Uh, uh, motorcycle gangs do bad things. Uh, they eventually kill his wife and his kid. And so in the final act, Max goes full tits, just bonkers crazy, killing bikers. Uh, yeah, and I kind of like- wish I kind of wish the whole movie had just lasted 10 minutes and the rest of the movie had been that final act. But yeah. well, and it's the funny thing is that's the part you remember the most. And it's literally like 10 minutes out of the entire movie. Yeah. Is, right. Uh, yeah. Is that uh, I but I will. Yeah. I will stress, too. It's it's a, a not too distant future. And they tell you that with the title card at the very beginning, a few years mm-hmm. from now. Uh, yeah. There's a, a thing on YouTube that I found. It basically looks at the, the whole Mad Max timeline. 
And there are clues inside Mad Max that kind of gauge it around 83, 84 is when it was expected uh, yeah. to take place. Right. So a but little, we, don't, we haven't gotten to the pocky clips yet, right? Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. no. We're Mad Max. right now we're just, we're just in the times are bad uh, yeah. uh, it's, era. Yeah. It's like basically civilization in decline because of all the energy crises, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. 2020-ish. Yeah, it's very okay. prescient, honestly. <laughs> well, because Byron Kennedy, the producer, and uh, George Miller, the writer-director, uh, their whole concept was, uh, hey, we remember the energy crisis from like 73 and everybody lost their minds. It's like, what if that was just on a global scale? It's like everybody will do whatever they can to just stay mobile in their vehicles. And <laughs> that was their whole basis. Like, just in Australia. To turn it into chaos. I mean, uh, yeah. A nation, a, a continent built on the car that everybody stuck to the coasts until they could drive further. Yeah. But like, if you're trying to go from Sydney to Alice Springs, you you better have a you know a, a lot of gas stations in between. And yeah. the Australia without gas is a wasteland. Yeah. So I, well, I think it, that makes sense. Uh, to, so to stage yeah, it all there. Yeah. Well, I like their conceit that it's just basically it's not going to take much to set this tinderbox a, a flyer a fire. Uh, yeah. and everybody just loses their shit. Uh, uh, so it's a good, it's a good preamble and it's very hard to watch sometimes because it, it does strike a lot of weird truths about where we are as a society. We're really just yeah. one blackout away from killing each other. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, and it's funny in that it, it makes both the, the sort of like go it alone libertarian argument and the societies happen for a reason argument. Um, yeah throughout the series yeah i like that idea though of like the libertarian saying yeah i should have the right to you know do my own thing and it's sort of like a competition of will and resources and that's the way it should be it's like they are that way up until they realize they're now in a cage fight with a 300 pound all muscle gorilla with a mohawk that wants to rape them you know (laughs) it's like this movie kind of says yeah yeah really really libertarian okay okay yeah (laughs) well and it's and it's basically it's it's a grindhouse movie mad max I mean, it's done on the yeah. cheap. Uh, it's staged mm-hmm. really well, uh, and it's shot really ha- shot in anamorphic widescreen. So you got to be careful when you go looking for this movie that you don't get like this squished, not yeah. widescreen version. Uh, yeah. You also want to make sure you don't get the dubbed one because for some ungodly reason they hired American actors for the American release to dub well, an Australian film. It's like they're speaking English. That's because American International was the distributor for the United States and they had just gotten bought out by filmways. And so they were in transition. So they didn't really do a marketing blitz like they probably could have, should have. And so it kind of just got thrown out there. And so to them, they got rid of a lot of the Australian slang and then dubbed it in and this and that. And it's just a really weird beast. And that was the first one I saw. So then years later, when I saw the actual Mad Max with the Australian, uh, soundtrack and such i was like holy shit that's a such a better movie this way why the fuck did they screw it up like that it's funny i saw the the undubbed version i think i think through early cable and when i saw it on video and i had that american nonsense i was like what why did i like this (laughs) <laughs> yeah. there's this bit in the end i mean like 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 i said it's a pretty simple plot it's it's 
basically the plot of Mandy. Guy in love, bikers kill his girl, he goes out on a killing rampage. But in the last scene, there's a part where he... uh, he handcuffs this this punk's ankle to a car that is flipped and is bleeding uh, gasoline. He takes a lighter uh, and lights it and sticks it inside of a headlamp and puts it in the ground by where the gas is dripping and throws the guy a hacksaw and says, okay, in about 10 minutes, that petrol is going to reach that fire. You have about that long to saw off your own foot if you want to get out of this. And then yeah. just leaves him. I'm yeah. like, and then he starts screaming like no and i thought that's, that's so part awesome. he's like driving that's off so and, then awesome. in, and then in the background you see the explosion yeah and yeah. they never tell you whether or not he you yeah. know sawed off his but own you, foot but you know he's dead you know he's yeah. dead yeah yeah uh, uh and but that that scene does not work with like a a um a, a day rate voice actor saying no. in about 10 minutes that petrol is going to reach that lighter you know it doesn't work you need you need mel gibson yeah. well i like the fact that mad max for years and years i don't know what unseated it but for years it had the guinness world record for the most profitable indie movie ever because they shot it for like i don't know four hundred five hundred thousand dollars aussie and the thing yeah. worldwide made like a hundred million dollars or something just oh, man. Re- something ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and they wrote it was that the El Mariachi of its time. Yeah. Uh, and it's somebody tight, just man. had a better idea. Yeah. Yeah. But I like the critical response was uh, mixed. A lot of people fucking hated it when it came out because it's just mm. it's grindhouse. It's just violent. It's gross. It's vicious. Uh, there's really nothing redeeming <laughs> about it mm. overall. Uh, yeah. And people just didn't get it. I think it was a little ahead of its time. I I, yeah, yeah. I must say every time I'm watching that movie and we go to the scene with his wife playing saxophone for him, yeah. I I I think what the fuck is going on? I wish this wasn't happening. I yeah, I just want to not <laughs> yeah. be here. It's the yeah. grossest part of the movie for me is <laughs> not just her well, playing saxophone and them going on vacation, but the fact that he named his son Sprog. Sprog. What? Yeah. What exactly? Uh. But I like because well, all the way, names in Mad Max movies are are interesting yeah. on their own. But anyway. well, I liked it. I liked it in this one too because I I actually watched all four this week just because I hadn't done that in so long, and mm. I forget all of the stuff that George Miller carries over uh, into subsequent films. And so, like in Beyond Thunderdome, which we'll get to a little later, you've got the the blind guy playing roughly the same type of saxophone song when he goes up into the ATM. Uh, thing uh, you've got the the guy on the farm in Mad Max who's basically mentally deficient uh, who's trying to help Max and then that ties into Master Blaster etc uh, etc et so it's like these weird things that sort of just he doesn't make much noise about it but he just carries him yeah. over so it's like this weirdly unified universe all the way so through. So I, I want to get into that because it feels very much like like these movies are not intended to be any sort of continuity it's like legends of the apocalypse yeah right like like there's it's it's just sort of like lone gunman stories that people are telling about this guy who showed up and did some shit yeah they're like they're like samurai movies basically yeah and so i mean are we ready to get to road warrior yeah i'm for it i'm for it yeah some mad max 2 which does not have the words the road warrior in its title cards that's Um, another i've got so many 
So many, so many impressions locked and loaded for this discussion. <laughs> uh, so I think this is really the one that sets the template is the thing that people think about when they think about Mad Max. Yeah. Right? They think about the exactly. Road Warrior, which was called the Road Warrior in the States because Mad Max had not gotten distributed properly here in the States. Yeah. So, so it was, like Mad it Max was not built as what? a sequel. Yeah. But yeah, uh, now there's been an apocalypse. Um, sort of. Resources are scarce. Yeah. And I like the fact that uh, for years and years I thought it was a nuclear event, but no. If you go back and look at them, uh, Road no. Warrior takes place after societal collapse, but before any sort of nuclear exchange. Really? Right. It's, it was okay. because of the juice. The yeah, precious the juice. juice. <laughs> uh, precious juice yeah. is just oil is yes yeah yeah Yeah. it's like society's broken down every everyone's an island they're locked wherever they were when they ran out of gas yeah and yeah now everyone is killing for it (laughs) exactly and and yet using a shit ton of gas um (laughs) yeah it's like everybody's got a hot rod that just maxes out any sort of gas usage i mean these things are not fuel efficient by any stretch no (laughs) no (laughs) it's so funny to me but but this is where we really get that aesthetic, right? Like, so this is, you know, picking over the le- the the leftovers of the society that had come before. So people are just kind of yeah. wearing whatever football pads, um, <laughs> you know, hockey helmets. Yeah, the, old MFP uniforms. Punk aesthetic going on throughout this. It's it's a very do it yourself kind of just cobble yeah. shit together. All the vehicles are very custom. All of the the places people live are just kind of bolted together from whatever they could find. Yeah. Basically, it's Fallout Four. <laughs> yeah, it's like everybody, everything is just cobbled. Yeah, but yeah, the the design of the movie is pretty much its strongest asset, and I think the one that has carried it over the decades because uh, it well, infected I mean, it established everything. Its own aesthetic. Yeah. Right. But it infected everything that came after, as far as the these types of movies. It's so weird to me. That this was ground zero, no pun intended. Well, and it's it's <laughs> it's nineteen eighty one when this comes out, and yeah, very much taking from the punk aesthetic. Yeah, right. Um, but it, yeah, it's uh, it's story wise, uh, Max is the yeah the cowboy who shows up in the town that has a problem. There, you know, it's like the Magnificent Seven, except there's just the one of them. Um, yeah, the magnificent one. Yes. The magnificent yeah. Max. Yeah, and uh, and so yeah, Lord Humongous is terrorizing this town that has all the oil. And the town is actually a refinery station. Yeah, and so they've got all the gas. Yeah, and they ain't giving and, it up. They ain't giving it up. So it's, and basically, it's, Max helps them escape. Yeah, really. Oh, they the have yeah, they have a whole uh, t- uh, tanker that they they can store gas in and run away, but they know you know because they know these these guys are gonna knock their walls down soon, and so yeah, Max tells him roll the clip. Two days ago, I saw yeah. a truck that could hold that tanker. <laughs> you want to get out of here? Oh, I'm not rolling Keep clips. Just just come to my impressions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's the funniest oh, okay. part about this whole movie too is. It, you don't think about it until after the fact, but Mel Gibson literally has 15 lines in the entire 90-minute movie. Yeah, it's all face. That's it's it. all face and, act, and, and movement. Yeah, and I think that was that's conscious on Miller's part because he basically, I think, at one point had said that when he made it, he's like, I want this to play in Japan 
and have the same effect as if it plays in Europe or the States or wherever. He's like, I just, you know, very, very much visual based, very few lines, not a lot of dialogue. So people can absorb the story that way. Uh, you know, the first works. Mad Max, his thinking was he wanted to do like those silent film comedies like, you know, Buster Keaton, those those very sort of uh, yeah. a- uh, anarchaic kind of visceral action kind of things where, yeah, you don't need to explain it. You just see it and go, ah. And I think after that whole dubbing thing, he realized, yeah, let's just reduce the amount of talking altogether. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he has he. There is a child in this that is a wild child, a an unraised, very animal like yeah. kid that the he bonds kid. with. And there's just about yeah, well, the kid doesn't say anything at all, and of course, Max doesn't say more than two or three words, you know, an hour. Yeah, it's mostly, ah, 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 but you get a sense of the relationship between them because of a music box. I was like, God yeah. damn it, that's smart. It's good. And that and it carries over from the like this one is very much Sergio Leone. And so that carries over from uh was it uh I can't remember which one now. Fistful Dollars. The one with the, the music box. Ding ding Yeah, ding, ding, that's Fistful. Okay. Yeah. Uh it's very much that motif, so he knew exactly what he was mining uh to get the yeah. feel. It's very well done. And this movie also introduces us to uh Bruce Spence. Who plays a pilot, not the to gyre. be mistaken, for the pilot that Bruce Spence plays in the next movie is a different character entirely. <laughs> yeah. But which, yeah, which best. in that one they basically said we want somebody for this pilot role, and we can't really think this. Ah, let's just get Bruce Spence again. And then when they pitched him the role, he's like, "It's basically you're the gyro pirate again, but you're not the gyro pilot." Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's so, which, which is probably the best case for saying this is all mythology. Right, it's like if if it's the same people, but it's not the same people. Well, also the car dies in this movie, so the 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 badass Mad Max mobile gets blown up in Road Warrior, but it shows yeah. up again in a future movie. But I so, I can explain that later when we get to it. Okay. Sure. Uh, but yeah, continuity wise, it's all over the map. But I don't think he really had an overarching idea for this universe. So yeah, like you say, they're all sort of self-contained little mythologies i i don't think we're supposed to care it's like james bond right like there's things that sort of happen similarly or are nods but there's no there's no interest in having an overall continuity and my opinion was always that they were it wasn't always it was like eventually that yeah none of these stories when you're watching a movie and there are movies behind it what you saw didn't really happen. What you saw was the myth that's sort of floating in everyone's head in this movie. So that when you get to Beyond Thunderdome, people know vaguely of a, a former cop who was a hot rodder who yeah. you know did some amazing shit and wore all black. That's about how much everyone else has in there jangling around in their head. which is probably wrong. So that's why the old films get away with not matching the new film. So here's, here's the thing that happened to me. You asked about the order in which we watched these and road warrior was one of those ones where I, until like today, literally I had seen like the beginning of it and the end of it, but never the middle of it for whatever reason. Okay. You know, it was one of those things that was on cable or was people were watching or whatever, but I never like sat down and watched it end to end. Um, so for me at the time, mid eighties, right? Like, you know, I, I was well aware the road warrior came out and I was aware of everybody around me going, Oh my God, this movie is the fucking shit. 
And so I was all hyped up because then we got Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome was coming out. I'm like, I'm going to see that because that's going to be even better and more (laughs) badass. (laughs) So that was my first Mad Max, and it was Beyond Thunderdome. That's intriguing. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to, I'll probably be. Can I just say, I think the first, where the first one is sort of a grindhouse action movie. And the second one is a, a western. The third one is really more of a drama. There's not that much yeah. as much action going on. Yeah. It's really there, yeah. There's characters no talking. Cool buggies in the desert until one hour and twenty minutes into this thing. Yeah, like. But Jesus. I, I, I don't know. I think I'm going to be one of the few defenders for this one because I actually enjoy I love it. it. Uh, oh, it's, it's good. It's Thunder just Gun. not what it was. Not. Yeah. It's not, wh- not it what wasn't it was Road Warrior. It's a different yeah. movie entirely. But yeah. I, I like that that Miller took a chance with this one and sort of uh, had the opportunity to expand his universe and that's exactly what he did with this one uh, so it's not the stoic warrior uh, killing time blah 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 I mean they still use the same framework where Max shows up and then shit happens and then Max has got to run away and then it's the big giant chase sequence at the end uh, so there's that but he Miller takes the time to show all these different weird pockets of civilization yeah. now and how they're reacting to this wasteland. Uh, I think it's stellar the way he did that. Cause it just, it, yeah. it's such an, an expanded universe that has so much going on that you could literally tell infinite stories the way he's got it set up. And I think it's also a precursor to films like we have now with, with the matrix where we have a simple introduction where you go "Ooh, i dig that and the artist says yeah i've got even more and the audience says i don't give a fuck i just like that just shut up just just go away stupid (laughs) and just give me the thing the little thing because yeah i I remember thunderdome got crapped on by all the people who loved road warrior because it wasn't road warrior and it's just so unfair (laughs) well it has dialogue but it has good dialogue like there's some funny bits you know Well, um, aren't you a raggedy man? Yeah, Tina Turner. I don't know anything about methane gays. Yes, but you can <laughs> shovel shit. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so many turbines in town. One man lives. It is? Yeah. <laughs> you got a plane. I have. <laughs> yeah. uh, plane? Right now, yeah. plane. <laughs> Ain't no plane. <laughs> You know, when we referenced the there ain't no plan thing, I I was convinced that that was the pilot. It's not. It's Pig Killer. Yeah, it's yeah. Pig Killer. Driving the train. It's not the yeah. pilot at all. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, but, That's uh, why I could never find the clip. <laughs> but, yeah, but the whole movie. But uh, the, the thing I like most about it is it's almost Miller had set this world up, and then this one is almost a weird deconstruction of it. Because when it starts... Max is no longer in the V8 Interceptor. He's just in a wagon with a team of camels. Well, he uh, blew it up run- in the last movie. So well, yeah, but as I'm saying, and he, and he doesn't have it. So he basically, this sort of shows his de-evolution, if, if you will. I mean, it's literally, he's like, his hair is mm-hmm. long. He's unkempt. He's totally analog now. Uh, he's Braveheart, and, Max. Yeah, and then he kind yeah. of gets sucked into this weird world. And then you get to Barter Town, run by Tina Turner as... Uh, was anti-atomic uh and it's like this weird version of civilization so they've got rules in place and apparently people follow them but it's still just controlled anarchy uh so it's just no no better no worse than the world was before it went to shit 
Uh, Who run Burger Town? <laughs> Master Blaster. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so like the first act is basically setting Max right. up. Anti Entities. Sorry, it was that's, bugging that's me her what name. her name was. That's yeah. her name. Uh, and she's got those really like fucking ridiculous big chainmail earring things. She's just, uh, yeah. she's just chewing scenery hair. and being awesome. Yeah, like Tina Turner. What happened to Tina Turner's film career after this? She should have had so much more work because she's. Just I don't know, killing man. it. I don't know. Yeah. This was like the peak, the peak of her solo music career too. Like when yeah. Private Dancer was such a huge hit, she well, was just everywhere. Well, I, I don't think fact- she wanted an acting career. I think she was approached about doing this, and Listen. and she thought, yeah, that sounds so weird. All right, sure. <laughs> Yeah, but she's just she's just badass. And this this movie does introduce bungee dome fighting, the Thunderdome itself. Yeah. Introduces it, bungee introduces. dome fighting. <laughs> well, I love the, the I, thing that would go on to be the export of old. Yes. It was started yeah. in this film. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Two men enter, one man leaves. Two men enter, one man leaves and then the whole crowd starts chanting. It's so it's so ridiculous. And I remember when that came out, I think Roger Ebert, that was the one that got him. He's like, finally, we have something that redefines the fight scene uh, in a way not since Kung Fu had come out in yeah. cinema. It's like, yeah, Gotta I give it that's that. Right. It's different. <laughs> yeah. And it's weird, man. It's just so fucking weird from start to finish. Uh, and then they do the, the fight and Max realizes that Blaster has Down syndrome. And so he won't kill him. And he basically nullifies the deal with anti-entity. And then that oh. exposes her trick to kill Master Blaster and take over Barter Town. And so then they do that whole bust a deal, face the wheel, bust a deal, face the wheel. And then the crowd starts chanting that. I'm like, this is so weird that this is the rule of law <laughs> in the post-apocalypse. It's just like, if it rhymes, that's great. We'll just put that down. That's good. No, that's how We're we remember the law, right? It has to be yeah. catchy. Yeah. Ah, so very weird. Uh so that's end of second act or first act and then second act is the weird uh roaming through the desert getting found by the kids who were abandoned after Yeah, so suddenly their- he he finds the lost boys from Peter Pan. <laughs> yeah, basically the waiting ones. And they think he's Captain Walker come back to get him and they're all kids. So they've just been yeah. living in this oasis in the middle of nowhere forever. These are the descendants of survivors of a plane crash. Yeah. And they're and waiting they, for the captain to come fly him out of there and take yeah. him to tomorrow tomorrow land or whatever. And, yeah. and the captain and, strangely had a uniform that looked exactly like uh Max's clothes, right? Like no, what pilot was, wears all black leather. No, that was when he was unconscious, they drew him on the, oh. the wall. So that was oh, actually. I him. thought they they drew him with all of their yeah. them standing on his arms like. A, I was sure yeah. that was the captain. No, that was him okay. as the captain uh, after the fact because that was sort of them adding to their mythology. So that's a whole other oh. motif going on there. Yeah. Okay, I missed that. Uh, but it's it's if you're not prepared for this movie, that's a total left of centered twist in the middle uh, that almost sidelines it because it almost takes you out of it too much right uh, so it gets very sort of 80s sentimental right it, yeah it, it yeah it becomes kind of saccharine in, uh, in that way but luckily it's only like 20 minutes or something so it's not a long time even though it feels like it uh and then the kids when he busts their bubble and tells them no there is no tomorrow marland and then a couple of them still want to leave 
and he tries to stop them and then they go and then it becomes this like mini Lawrence of Arabia adventure uh, in the desert wasteland and then somehow they worm their way back to barter town this is where it all kind of gets muddled for me because like well uh, so they sneak in and then immediately uh, bust out master and then get on that train to nowhere it's like right okay this literally just seems like it's designed to set up uh, a chase sequence for the end that's going to be really cool <laughs> but doesn't really <laughs> have any other purpose other than to look like a cool chase scene you know yeah but you know that's what we came for right we wanted to see a bunch of uh yeah, crazy yeah. cars i mean so i mean in in road warrior they built all of these custom buggies and cars and then they proceed to just destroy all of them by crashing yeah. them in, in various spectacular ways and you got to uh, you got to hand it to the stunt teams on this thing right like this oh, thing yeah. uh, these movies were shot in the late 70s early 80s and there's no CG, folks. These are no, it's, these it's are stuntmen practical. jumping from fucking car to car to train to back and crashing yeah. vehicles and blowing them up, and it's it's pretty crunchy. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's an amazing thing. I have a lot of respect for George Miller as a filmmaker. Uh, yeah, because mostly because of the Mad Max movies, because they're just they're tight as far as the the way they're shot and put together. Yeah, uh, like the fact that he, the, the the first Mad Max they filmed. And then he and his buddy edited in like a homemade editing bay in somebody's apartment. Uh, that just boggles my mind. And then to go from <laughs> that to Beyond Thunderdome, which is obviously a bigger budget, uh, but it's just the, the scope just keeps expanding on these things. Uh, and it's just insane. Yeah. One of the things that, that also made Thunderdome tonally very distinct was this is where we got a different composer. So the first two movies were done by Australian composer Brian May. And at first I'm like, the credit, Brian May from yeah. Queen? No, it's just no, some dude, Brian May. But, <laughs> um, but then Maurice Jarre does the, the soundtrack to Beyond Thunderdome, and it yeah. has a very different... Yeah, you've lost this sort of low-budget cheese yeah. factor in the score. Well, it's just, now it's very, very uh, polished. Well, that's the thing. Beyond Thunderdome, I think, uh, gets a bad rap from a lot of these fans because it's really mm-hmm. it's a hollywood film so yeah you've got the the big hollywood composer but you've also got tina turner doing a couple of songs for the film which go on the <laughs> soundtrack uh and then you've got the big hit from the end credits which is we don't need another hero thunderdome Uh, yeah. And that was yeah. on the radio everywhere. That was the year that I moved to Phoenix, 85. So summer of 85, that was all over the radio. Uh, yep. So it was. That's it's a very distinct one of those great the, 80s theme songs. Yeah. That was part of the marketing campaign. Good stuff. Go to maghuge.com. Check out our episode on movie theme songs. Yeah. I think we talked about <laughs> that one. We did. Uh, we did. Yeah. So yeah. Look, all we want is life beyond the Thunderdome. <laughs> yeah, really. I think that pretty much sums up that stupidity. Which, which, yeah. which is two things: the end of the movie, he gets the kids to Sydney, which is this abandoned, decrepit city where they start yeah. to live and tell his legend, and then, however many years later, Fury Road. Yeah. Well, and this and is then, the- and then after that, the very end of uh, the Postman. Where one yes. of the kids points at the statue and says, "That was me." <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Uh, but yeah, so but Fury, Fury Road. Road yeah, like, that's what, a, twenty it's a years weird, later. It's a weird beast. But if you if you look at the timeline, uh, people have 
I, mean, I think Miller himself has said that it's actually post Thunderdome, but not by much. And here's How does the thing: he get the I'm car? like, well, if you look at like all of the stuff that they don't tell you in the movie, but there's a shit ton of like uh, extra material about it. And there's like a comic run, etc. So they fill in the backstory, but basically Max just sort of cobbled the card together in a cave over time. And so he rebuilt his VA no. interceptor, blah, blah, blah. No, which, you know, what's wrong whatever with fandom in, in the age of the internet. Don't do it. No continuity. It's, it's more, I, I'm more interested in, it doesn't matter. The, the fact that it's a different actor, Tom Hardy and a, di- and the yeah. car is back just underlines. No, don't overthink it. It's just, Another story, yeah. legend of the apocalypse. Just well, yeah, and that's the thing. But alone. The, but the, the official word was that, yeah, this is blah, blah, blah. But to their credit, uh, they they just destroy uh, the V8 in the beginning. So it's not even in the movie, so you don't have to deal with it. And then by the end, they've rebuilt it. So I imagine like for any sequel after this, he'll have uh, reacquired his Interceptor and they can get back to the iconography. They don't um, actually say any of that in the movie, though. No. Right. The, no. So it's like, yeah, so it, it's not like, it's not, I, I, I think they are leaving it vague, but for people who want to be assholes and go like, find wait a minute, is this before or after? It's like yeah. they've given them an answer, but everybody yeah. should just watch the movie. Give, yeah. give them the answer. Calm the fuck down. It's a movie. Watch it. Enjoy it. Yeah. And don't, and don't do this. Cause this, do you want solo a star Wars story? Cause this is how you get solo a star Wars. Story. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. But for stuff like uh, this, it doesn't matter. Whatever they say, if it's not in the film, it's not real. That's I mean, even, even Ridley Scott tried to say that uh, uh, Deckard was a replicant because he put in a clip from legend. That doesn't make it fucking. So, <laughs> you know well it, well it sort of uh disguises the fact that this is actually a solid movie i think to me this is the best mad max movie in the fury in road the whole, yeah in the canon by a be- lot by because a whole he, lot. So yeah this, be- if you've got 20 years to storyboard and pre-visualize your yeah, film <laughs> exactly this uh, is and, how good it can get folks well and if you look like road warrior which is the second strongest in the series uh it that they did that for like four and a half million or something i mean the budget wasn't awesome but it was still pretty good but this one was like a hundred and i think 75 million it came out to when all was said and done and it shows Jesus. everything on the screen shows. But to Miller's credit, he's like, because they spent all that time pre-vis, most everything is practical. Like, there's not a whole lot of CGI. I mean, there's some in there, but for the most part, this is uh, done practically like all of these things are done. And it's just insane. Yeah. I remember going to see this in 2015 in the theater, and I was just awestruck by the in- immensity of the entire thing. And I remember walking out just going, that was the most amazing yet simultaneously most bugfuck movie I have ever seen <laughs> a studio ever put out. I was just like, what the hell did I just watch? It was just start to finish, nothing but uh, adrenaline. I was yeah, like, how did, he, how did he do it? It became a movie that got taught in film school for like, this is how yeah. you stage action. It's, <laughs> this yeah. is it's it. definitely a masterclass. It's in- incredible. Uh, and it's the it's the peak of the Australian new wave. If you think of how he started and what yeah. was going on with the early Maxes and how he developed as an artist, it's like okay, this is now everything I learned from the new wave. But I'm yeah. doing it. <laughs> There's no experiment what, now. This is everything yeah. we've learned in a film. 
What gets me though is that every single movie that he did leading up to Mad Max Fury Road is not a Mad Max Fury Road movie by oh, any yeah. stretch. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like the Witches, Witches of East, East Week. Week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lorenzo's Babe. Oil, uh, Babe, Pig in the City, Happy Feet. Was it Happy, Happy Feet, Feet or Happy Feet? Yeah. And yeah. Both Happy of Feet them. One and Two. Yeah, yeah. So it's like he did a lot of like mostly family oriented shit, and then he comes out with Fury Road, and it is a callback uh, to the the Mad Max universe that is just astounding. It's yeah. like, it's got everything. It's got the cars, the crashes, the, the weird mutated people, the insane mythology surrounding it, like the weird culture stuff. It's just like, ha, huh. but then and you, it's like the you antithesis said, Brian, of, of, uh, Thunderdome in that the entire movie is basically two giant car chases. Yeah. And th- yet they tell a richer story. <laughs> throughout yeah. it's a it's an incredibly well done and it's it's impressive to the nth degree uh but it seems was, like george miller took everything that he learned from all the previous mad max movies and said okay we can we can tweak it we can make it that much better and he just threw it all in it's amazing i guess i do wish more filmmakers who are going to go back to the well would watch this movie and go look see this is everyone thought that another Mad Max film was going to suck ass. And that's because every time somebody goes back to something 20 years later, they do it cynically. Like it's a cash ploy and it does suck. This is a, this is a, a, this is why this is different. It it, it wasn't done as fan service. It was just, it was a well thought out story that I think would have worked if you didn't, if you, if you didn't know any of the other Mad Max films. Yeah. You're not doing fan service. You're not m- making a cash grab. You're making a good fucking movie. Well, yeah. he also is responding to, I mean, let's face it, the the world of Mad Max up till this point, and even in this movie, the world is a very sort of testosterone-run world. There's a lot of raping and killing, yeah. and there's a lot of raping and killing in Fury Road, but it's really Furiosa's movie, and mm-hmm. it's a very yes. feminist take on, okay, what if badass women did something about that in this situation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the strongest thing story-wise for me is that Miller had sense enough to take this iconic character in Max and sort of make him the secondary, almost sidekick role. Right. He's uh, like so Jack Burton. <laughs> yeah. So that you could get the, the, the fuller Furiosa story, which is a much more interesting hook. I think that's where he did it right, is that he didn't put everything on the shoulders of Max and expect it to carry the movie. He mm, drew yeah. it out just enough. And again, like he did with Thunderdome and bef- and then previously Road Warrior, he just takes this universe and little by little breaks it out and makes it larger uh, with very few brushstrokes. It was just, it's incredible uh, that he was he was able to do that with such a little, little tweak. Uh, yeah, and they're saying they've got a couple more movies they want to do. And I'm thinking to myself... Yeah, but they're not going to be as good because you didn't have as much time to prep and you weren't coming at it from the perspective of, here's every gag I wish I'd have done. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and it may not ever happen because I guess there's some legal dispute with Warner Brothers. uh, So everything is shelved. So I doubt we'll get anything again. But the beauty of this universe is that uh, anybody could literally come in and make something uh, and it may or may not be as good, but at least it would be. Something, and if there's you know one I mean? thing we we need more of, it's extended universe franchises. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we just don't exactly. have enough of those. 
Yeah. Uh, Hopefully they can add more retroactive continuity. That'd yeah. be great. And baby yeah. Yodas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you could always <laughs> use more baby Yoda. But the the final word for me on Fury Road is just uh how much she put into it, uh and how extensive the universe is, but also if you look back to the first one and follow through, it's like Mad Max collapses civilization. It's kind of a small microcosm. Then you get Road Warrior, which is a little bit of a wider swath. Uh, Max kind of alone in the wasteland and then sort of finds his inner compassion to help these people. And then Thunderdome, he sort of has reawakened and become beyond the myth, uh, as it were. And then by the time you get to Fury Road, he's just an everyman lost in the crowd. Like that last shot when he you know, gives the, the nod to Furiosa and then he just kind of disappears into the crowd. I was like, oh, fuck, that's perfect. To me, that's perfect. That's what you want from him. It's just, you know, gets his shit done and then gone. And then he's the myth. And then he becomes the story, you know? So, closing thoughts? I think Uh, that was it. I I side with Chris. Everything he said is what I think. Yeah. Yeah. Made Max. I can't even do the accent now. Fuck. Do it, Eric. (laughs) Uh uh, 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 I'm trying to think of something he would say. Other than, <laughs> he doesn't you know, say anything. He doesn't say <laughs> yeah, anything. Right. I already did the two days ago. And I already yeah, did right. the saw through the knee. So, yeah. Okay. So, okay. yeah, I guess that's the show. Uh, please rate the podcast, share it on your social feeds, and go to our website, maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com, and find our old episodes, including that one with the theme songs. Uh, we got we got like hun- over a hundred episodes now, so there's plenty to listen to on your commute. Uh, you can not hit us up on Twitter. We are at MagHuge. Uh, we're on Facebook for the Magnificently Huge podcast. You can find our Instagram, or you can email magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. And yeah, that that's pretty much it. And remember, they can they can take our lives, but they cannot take our freedom. Oh wait, that wasn't Mad Max. That was um, yeah. <laughs>